Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. So I'm just grateful for the time, and again, just thank you all. Uh, But uh, over the last few weeks, the Lord has been speaking to me about spiritual warfare. Uh, I just finished reading a book by Mary Kay Baxter called A uh, Divine Revelation of Spiritual Warfare. Um, And God was just dealing with me about how important it is for us to understand the day and the time that we're in. And so uh, I just wanted to talk about it today. It's something that we don't necessarily hear the body of Christ talk about, which is spiritual warfare. And um, I just believe we are living in a day and time where we need to know the difference um, between what is of the Lord and what is not of him. So before we get started, I'm just going to pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this word. We thank you for your anointing, uh, your Holy Spirit, your fire, baptism that will fall on this place, Lord. And we just thank you uh, for all that you're doing in us and through us and in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to talk about spiritual uh, spiritual war. Um Not only uh, do we need to know the difference, you know, between what is of the Lord and what is of, obviously, the devil, but we need to know how to stand firm against the trials, tribulations, temptations, and the war that we are in against the devil. Additionally, the war we are in, I believe, I personally believe that this is probably the most significant war uh, that we will ever be in until Jesus returns. Um, I believe we are in literally a World War III, not just a physical, but really a spiritual. Many people believe that World War III is going to start in the physical, but I believe it's going to start in the spiritual because that's where everything started. Uh, And like I said, over the last several weeks, the Lord's just been speaking to me about spiritual warfare. And so I just want to share with you uh, some of the things the Lord has uh, shared with me and spoken to with me, uh, and so I just want to share some tools, some strategies, some weapons that we have as soldiers in the Lord's army. Um, I just believe it's time for us to take our rightful place in this war uh, that we're in. Uh, it's time to come together and fight against uh, these demonic things that are going on, not just in our cities, our families, our communities, the government, all areas. Um, And I believe we're also in a day and age where we need to learn how to operate in the supernatural. Many churches do not operate in the supernatural. And some of the churches that operate in the supernatural, they do not equip and teach people to operate in the supernatural outside of their Sunday gathering. And so uh, not only do we need to be prepared, uh, but we need to know how to maintain our place in the heavenly realms. Uh, We've talked about the different levels of the heavens, you know, the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. I believe in this day and age, we have to actually dwell in the third heaven. Uh, So I want y'all to get ready to go to war with me. Um, We are going to 
lay out the battle we are in. We're going to, you know, define a little bit about the enemy. We already know who he is, but just give a little backstory on him and some of his devices and who we are and uh, what our weapons are and how to take our position. And uh, at the end, I want to activate us with engaging in some actual spiritual warfare. Uh, We're going to do some renunciations. We're going to speak some things over us. We're going to ask the Lord to remove anything from us that's not of him. Um, Because I believe that's just the time we're in that we got to make sure we remove anything so it doesn't get in our way. And I believe the reason why the Lord has allowed us to uh, be in a delay with our building is because he needs to also not just clean out that house, but he needs to clean out our house, our temples, spiritually. Not that anybody in here is out doing something wrong, but sometimes when we don't deal with things in the spiritual realm, something can be get stagnant, and the Lord will hold a bigger thing back because he knows something needs to be dealt with. So the, there's a couple things that I just want us to recognize uh, in this spiritual war that uh, um, there are good people and bad people. Um, as Christians, though, we are probably in the greatest position of the war, but also in the chal- most challenging position because we have to be able to admit that evil exists. And if we don't admit that evil exists, then we don't even realize that we're in a war. And there are some Christians that actually believe, because of what Jesus did on the cross for them, that they don't have to worry about anything. They don't have to do anything. Now, from a work standpoint in your salvation, that's true. You don't have to do anything. But there are daily things that we have to do to maintain our spiritual endurance, our spiritual relationship, our uh, spiritual fire. And uh, so I just want to start out in Ephesians 6 and 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Every war that we are in as humans eventually comes to an end. But the results of being in a war has an impact bigger than we know. Our enemy seeks to conquer and destroy the souls, spirits, and bodies of human beings. We must learn to fight effectively because many lives, including our own, are at stake. Timothy was encouraged by his mentor, the Apostle Paul, to fight the good fight of faith lay hold onto the eternal life, and to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. Paul also exhorted other believers to put on the armor of light and to put the whole armor of God. And just those scriptures that I just referenced, it was 1 Timothy 6, 12, 2 Timothy 2, 3, and Ephesians 6, 11. Here are three major issues that we have to acknowledge Otherwise, we will absolutely lose this war we're in. I already said the first one, denying the existence of evil powers. The Bible tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt, however, that the spiritual world is real and that there are evil as well as good spiritual forces. The Apostle Paul identifies these spiritual forces as principalities, powers, 
rulers of this darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And that's all in Ephesians 6 and 12. The existence of our spiritual enemy, Satan, is an undeniable fact. Jesus himself called Satan the ruler of this world. He referred to the devil as the enemy, as in Matthew 13, 39. The enemy who sowed, tears, or weeds is the devil. In 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible also calls Satan your adversary, the devil. Here's something that we want to pay attention to. When Satan can distract us from the reality of the supernatural realm, he can divert us from finding spiritual solutions for critical issues. And that's what's happening in this country and countries all across the world. When we are not looking into the supernatural realm, then we are getting distracted and we're never finding the right, correct spiritual solutions. And that's why problems continue to be problems. Second biggest error that we have to acknowledge as Christians that we're, if we don't, is we attribute to Satan everything goes wrong. Everything is not the devil, the Satan's. It's not his fault. Sometimes it's your own fault. <laughs> Tell, say self. Sometimes it's me. If the shoe fits, it fits. And I'm the first to admit, I'm guilty of it. There's been times where I felt like it was the enemy attacking, attacking me. And then the Lord said, no, that's your own fault. You did that. So I'm talking about myself today, so it's okay. Um, the third thing is we absolutely have to be prepared for spiritual warfare. Believing that Christians are immune from satanic attack. When we think that we cannot be attacked by him, it's the worst lie in the world. It's, in fact, one of the biggest lies that the enemy tries to tell us uh, as far as being believers. Because if we believe we cannot be attacked, then we will never see when we're being attacked. So taking the position that believers cannot be attacked by the devil leaves Christians ignorant of their enemy's tactics and gives them a false sense of security. And if you look at people that are struggling or those people that we may have crossed here in this gathering that thinks nothing is wrong with them, that they're not the problem, um, this right here is for them. I'm just being honest. <laughs> it, I, I'm just being honest. It, it, we have to acknowledge that we can be attacked as Christians. I love you too. Thank you for talking back to me. Thank you for not being Church of the Chosen Frozen. <laughs> so please keep talking back to me. I've been on cloud 10 all week with my family who likes to joke, so you're getting more of me today than you probably normally would because I haven't had no time to, like, debrief and, like, settle in. Uh, 
Secondly, we have to, like I said, we have to be prepared for spiritual warfare. And scripture says, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now let's go talk a little bit about this joker's history, Satan, just in case you don't know who I'm talking about. To really understand a little bit about him, we just have to understand the nature of our spiritual war that we're in. Uh, and we have to understand how evil and sin really began. Uh, we know that Satan was once an angel in heaven called Lucifer. However, uh, he became arrogant and tried to exalt himself over God. And the Bible says this about his beginning and his fall. And this is Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17 out of the NIV. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. You were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Now, Lucifer was a magnificent angel in heaven. Uh, he was obviously not content. Uh, he gloried in his beauty and brightness, but it wasn't enough for him. And we always say pride comes before the fall. He aspired to supremacy. He wanted to be God. He coveted and honored and gloried everything that was God's. So he decided to sow a spirit of deception and discontent among the angels that were under his command. And before long, uh, it blossomed and became a revolt. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. That right there tells you why he's called the serpent in Genesis. Not only that, he was kicked out of heaven also because of his rebellion. He was no longer Lucifer, which means morning star or a shining one. Instead, he became Satan, which means the accuser or the adversary. The Bible gives us several names for him uh, as the fallen one, uh, such as the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of the demons, king over the demons in the bottomless pit, the ruler of the world who is already judged, the God of this age, the serpent, a great dragon, the enemy, the tempter, a false angel of light, the accuser of our brethren, the devil and Satan. 
Now let's talk about some of his little buddies that think they got some power, but they really don't. The angels who rebelled with Satan were thrown out, too. Uh, They became demons or evil spirits, as we know. Uh, The Bible indicates that one-third of the angels may have uh, rebelled. Any spiritual being who did not obey the Lord received swift judgment. It says, God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for for judgment. The term, though, unclean spirit actually occurs in the Bible 22 times to describe Satan's cohorts or his jokers, and is what I like to call them, a bunch of jokers. Um, Foul spirit also is used, and uh, Paul referred to demons that operated through people to deceive others as deceiving or seducing spirits. Now, I want to talk about something that a lot of churches will not talk about. You have some churches that believe that uh, people can be possessed by demons. Then you have some that believe you cannot. Uh, And I believe there's an in-between. I believe that you cannot be overtaken by a demon if you are a believer. But I do believe if you open doors... Spirits can come in and influence you and have what I consider a, not a full control, but influence. And we have to be willing to talk about that. And it can come through many different things. I'll talk about that a little later. Um, But when Satan tries to cause us to give in to temptation or disobeying God, then it creates war with God. So when we fall, we, we become war with God. Not as believers, but in the spiritual sense. The spirit of rebellion still dwells in all unbelievers. Those whom the Bible calls the sons of disobedience, even believers have to fight the spirit of rebellion. I'm right there. I was rebellious this morning with my dad, so it's okay which tries to uh, really, uh, that is the biggest thing that we are challenged with as believers is rebellion. Um, The Bible calls the spirit of rebellion or disobedience that old man, the flesh, um, that wants to serve the law of sin. But we have to be willing to put off um, all those old things that, come from our old life, you know, those crazy things. If you've heard my story, I've done some crazy things. Can't go back and do it. Uh, Not that I want to. I'm just saying, like, I, you know, we don't want to. But we got to be willing to put those things off, you know, um, which is lust, um, flesh of the eyes, pride of life. Um, But it all begins with renewing our spirit and our mind, and we have to do those things together. And we have to be willing to put on the new man, um, which was created by God, which is in true righteousness and holiness. Say, I was created to walk in righteousness and holiness. Amen. In uh, 
there's a scripture I wanted to read that kind of talks about it, and it talks about the struggle that Paul describes. And he says, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And here, this is Paul. He's talking about his struggles, that inner man. Um, We've all been there. You know, that old man wants to creep up and tells us to have a few choice words for somebody yesterday that might have cut me off on the highway or uh, someone that decided to not let me get over into the lane when there was construction. That was me yesterday, and I'm sure some of you have been there. Uh, Also, this sinful nature that we have, it wants us to revolt against God's word. It wants us to oppress everything of God so we will miss out on being the full person God has created and desires us to be. And it even says in John 8, 44, you are your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. That's the biggest thing that the enemy will do to us. He will try to get us to believe a lie that's not true. He will tell us somebody doesn't like us. He will tell us someone uh, thinks negative thoughts about us. He will tell us that our parents don't love us, that someone doesn't accept us because we're not good enough, all these different things. Those are just examples from my own life. So let's talk about his little army. I don't really call it an army. I call it more of a club because um, <laughs> it's, it's no army. It's a club. Uh, how does Satan carry out, carry out his warfare and his attempt to undermine God's ways and purposes? Well, it clearly uh, says that in, in Ephesians. Uh, the devil is pictured as a, heading a well-organized army of spiritual agents. The term principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places are believed by many biblical teachers that describes the ranks in his army. The power of Satan's influence is multiplied through his vast army of evil spirits which try to implement his will. Satan and his evil spirits can assume visible form as the devil did when he appeared as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. Or they can cause visible reaction manifestations, or on people. Here's just a few things that they can really do that is listed in Scripture. Demons can cause blindness and muteness. Talked about that in Matthew 12, 22. Demons can cause convulsions and seizures, Mark 9, 17 through 20. Demons can cause a person to act in a self-destructive way or with a bizarre behavior, Luke 8, 27 through 29. 
Demons have also been known to compel animals to destroy themselves. Luke 8, 30 through 33. Demons can create powerful illusions and mimic the power of God. And finally, the devil and his followers can perform signs and wonders. And that is the biggest challenge why some Christians don't believe in miracle signs and wonders because they believe that they don't have the ability to tell what is real and what is not. So they would rather just not believe it at all. We call them sensationalists. I used to grow, grow I grew up in, in that background. And it never made sense to me because um, if you have a house and you don't have a security system, someone can make way and you don't know it. So if someone makes a way, you don't ignore it. You have to deal with it. So why as Christians, if someone has a sickness, we just say go to the doctor and not pray for them? That doesn't mean that a doctor can't be resourceful. I believe the Lord uses people in medicine. But just like the Lord uses people in medicine, so does the devil. Everywhere God is, the devil will copy that same place. All right, here's the awesome thing. We've already talked about a little bit about Satan and his army, but let's just talk about it. We already know Satan is defeated. Amen. Come on now. Y'all should be excited. Because of his incomparable love for all people, God sent his son to the earth to engage Satan in open warfare and defeat him. Jesus attacked Satan and his strongholds directly by casting out evil spirits out of people, opening blind eyes, straightening the crooked limbs, unstopping deaf ears, raising the dead, and releasing people from spiritual bondage. Uh, for example, Jesus healed and delivered the man who was blind and mute because of demon possession. The boy who had an epileptic-like seizure and was deaf and mute because of an unclean spirit. And then the man who became a maniac and isolated himself uh, from society because he was demon-possessed. The woman who was afflicted and bent over for 18 years because she had a spirit of infirmity from Satan. Then we had the little girl that was ill and was said to have been severely demon-possessed. And then the man in the synagogue who was thrown to the floor by a spirit of an unclean demon. So if that doesn't tell you right there that we are in a real spiritual warfare, people have real challenges and issues. Some of it is spiritual, some of it may not be. But we should be willing to be equipped and ready to deal with it. The final outcome of our spiritual warfare with the enemy was actually determined by God from the beginning. In his victory, Jesus assures us that we are born again children of God. Say, I am born again. And we can also have the victory in every battle against Satan. Say, I have the victory. I have the victory. 
And he says it. He says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are redeemed and we have been turned from sin and Satan back to God and have joined his fight against the forces of darkness. The final outcome of our spiritual warfare with the enemy was actually determined by God from the beginning. Right after the devil led mankind into disobedience, the Lord told Satan, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, Jesus. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. As the second Adam, Jesus resisted evil and obeyed God even to the point of death on the cross. Now, I want to talk about something, and this is probably going to make some folks mad and whatever, kick rocks. Um, hey, y'all just getting real mad 100% now, so sorry. Um, I wanted to point out where uh, he was talking about, I will put enmity between uh, him and the woman. I believe that is a sign of why women are called to ministry. Because man messed up and could not lead. And because of that, he allowed woman to step up. Um, because I also believe that he created man and woman equally. But because Adam did not do his part, he said, well, I'll give, it, I'll give the assignment to the woman. Now, we know it's a little different because he's obviously talking about birthing an actual person. But in a spiritual sense, you, you could see that. When Christ overcame sin and death, Satan lost his claim over humanity. The Bible says that Jesus released us forever from the satanic bondage of fear. Say, no more fear. Since the children, I want to read this. This is Hebrews 2, 14 through 17 in the New American Standard. It says, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For surely he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. When Christ overcame sin and death, Satan lost his claim. We know what Revelation says. John describes Satan's final cosmic defeat in the drama of the ages. The devil who deceived was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Centuries earlier, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah also had seen Satan's demise uh, through what we could consider a telescope of prophecy. It says in Isaiah 14, 12 through 17, How have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. 
You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? The man who made the world a wilderness, who overthrew its cities and would not let his captives go home. Spiritual warfare continues. Evil spirits are still active and dangerous. It says, Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of this darkness, of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Our greatest struggles in life are not against people, but are against the powers of this dark world. Why are we so caught up in things with other people We know at the end, Satan is defeated. He will no longer be able to have any power or influence over the world. Satan knows his time is short, and he wants to destroy as many people as he can in the short time he has left. He is limited in what he can do. Satan uses everything in his power and at his disposal to deceive and destroy. Say, I will not be deceived. We know the victory is ours, but we have to be willing to receive the victory. We have to be willing to apply it. And I just want to talk about a couple things on how to fight and win this battle of darkness. One, we have to be redeemed from the power of Satan, meaning you have to be born again. God redeems all those who put their faith in Jesus. He transfers them out of the dominion of darkness or the realm of Satan and brings them into Christ's realm, which is the kingdom of God. Secondly, we have to learn Satan's tactics and how to counteract them. The biggest reason why I believe Christians are bound in addictions, strongholds, spiritual, physical, is because they don't know how to counteract them. Secondly, we need to effectively engage with the enemy. We have to. We have to understand his tactics, how to overcome them. We cannot leave ourselves open to anything where Satan can give room and come in. And we have to be willing to uh, challenge Satan whenever we feel like he is challenging us. We have to push back and fight. We have to stand our ground, speak the word, declare the word, plead the blood of Jesus. It says the devil is deceitful, cruel, fierce, wicked, subtle, and powerful. But he is also cowardly and he has limitations. And he flees and runs at the name of Jesus, or when a believer pleads the blood of the Son of God over a person or a situation. 
So through Christ's victory, we can tread on the head of Satan. We can keep him under our feet. And through the blood of Jesus, we can actually overcome him. Satan is, I guess you could say, more like a lion because scripture says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't care about entertainment. We may think that's the biggest place he operates. I believe the biggest place he operates is actually the church. Because if he can influence the church, he can distract people from knowing who they are. He can help. He can cause people to be in bondage and to be blind. But the good thing is we need some folks to lead the front lines We got some folks in here that will lead the front lines. We are on the front lines of a spiritual warfare every day. God's people are experiencing attack as perhaps never before. Trouble is all around us. We see it in our fallen world, in our daily news, social media, videos showing violence, people suffering, disasters. Uh, we can kind of sense like a spirit of rebellion um, and negative attitudes. Uh, but we have the ability to confront them with Jesus. Even though sin is rampant in the earth, as we draw closer to the final war between God and Satan, it's just the devil trying to get as many people last minute on his side. But the good news is, hey, there's good news. When we are in Christ and are under the grace and protection of his sacrificial death on Calvary, we have nothing to fear. All right, let's just talk about some schemes of the enemy. Just put them out there. Expose them a little bit. Make them feel a little vulnerable. Yeah, I know, he's listening. Blah, 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 that's what I say. (laughs) Blind people, he wants to blind people and to cause them to be stuck in spiritual blindness. I already said this, but this is one of the biggest things. If he can blind us, he will bind us in spiritual blindness. Uh, it's his, it's his biggest goal, and he does that, and that's how he actually causes people to either miss out on salvation uh, through telling lies about what it really means to have a relationship with the Lord. His primary strategy is to keep people from accepting Jesus as Savior, uh, ensuring their continual spiritual bondage and condemnation. In Jeremiah 5.21, it says the Bible speaks about this in a number of scriptures, but we'll just read out of this scripture. Hear this, O now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. 
Ezekiel 12, 2, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house which has eyes to see but does not see and ears to hear. I mean, come on now. And it says, for they are a rebellious house. So when we see people acting crazy, doing things, Scripture tells us exactly why. Another thing that the enemy wants to do is he wants to steal the word from his people. That is the biggest thing he wants to steal from us when the Lord gives us a word. He will come in and tell us that that's not what the Lord's telling us. He will get us to question ourselves, question what the Lord is telling us to do. I was questioning myself this morning about this word. And then everything that was said in worship, in prophecy, I'm like, you can't make this up. In Luke 8, 5 through 15, he talks about the parable of the sower. And he says, Jesus taught that when people do hear the gospel, the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts unless they should believe and be saved. So for us, for believers, he can't take the word. But for those that are not believers and they get a word or they hear a word, the enemy tries to come in immediately and swoop it away. It says the Bible also says that Satan works with powers, signs, and lying wonders, and all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. When people hear God's truth, they must receive it, hold on to it, because the enemy will try to take it from them. And I'm not talking about salvation. just want to clarify that. He also wants to turn people from the truth. When people do receive the truth, he tries to draw them away from it through temptation, lies, false allegations. And Jesus talked about this. He said, when they hear and receive the word with joy, and these have no roots. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. The temptation to doubt, fear, or to turn back to the ways of the world. Next, he also wants to entice people with the cares and riches of this world. This does not mean we can't be rich. It doesn't mean that we can't have a nice car. But Jesus talks about those, when they've heard, they've gone out and are choked with the cares, riches, pleasures of life, and they have no fruit or maturity. Satan is constantly trying to delude and cause people into submitting to him. The Bible says that in his efforts to deceive, he transforms himself into an angel of light. He chokes people spiritually by enticing them to feed their own selfish desires rather than on the word of God. And one of the biggest things that I think is coming through the churches is people are saying you don't have to be saved, that there's more than one way to heaven, that hell isn't real, 
that earth is actually hell. These are all the different things. These are some of the biggest lies. Um, one of the biggest bishops, he left. Um, he was actually the mentor of Oral Roberts. I won't say his name, but if you know him, you know him. And he was, uh, he says he was worshiping the Lord and he got an epiphany. Well, that right there, if you say you got an epiphany, that's a problem. He said he was with his four-year-old daughter, maybe even younger, and he said he had an epiphany and an angel of the Lord told him because he was trying to understand why would God send my four-year-old daughter to hell. And he said the angel told him that hell was not real and that hell was what we made up as to what defines our trials, our tribulations here on earth. This person is still a pastor, um, but he's been rebuked and called a heretic and, um, you know, has, you know, been exposed. But there are many churches that are falling into that doctrine. Um, not only that type of doctrine, but that you can believe in anything. You can be a part of our church. It doesn't matter your orientation. It doesn't matter anything you believe. You can decide. I mean, there's this young pastor that uh, I saw, and he doesn't believe it's our job as Christians to follow or be like Jesus. And so it's all these things that are lies. And so we have to be mindful of things like this uh, because there are people out there that don't have spiritual discernment or anybody that give them guidance. Uh, secondly, planning the wrong people near us to deceive us. I've been there. I've had some people that have been close to me that I learned later were not supposed to be close to me. It doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means maybe they're not at a good place. Just like the Lord's removed me from other people's lives because I wasn't at a good place and because I wasn't at a good place, it was a hindrance to their relationship with the Lord. Another big thing, which I think this is not surprising, but using popular culture. I believe this is the biggest problem in our churches. We want our churches to look like a rock concert. And listen, I'm all for experience. I've been in the big churches. I've loved it. It's awesome. It's cool. But when you have to try and create an atmosphere for the presence of God, that's a problem. See, the presence of God doesn't need us to do anything. He will show up when we're together. Spiritual warfare has had an impact on countries and their cultures. Um, it talks about it in Daniel 10 where entire nations are influenced by the invisible battle in the angelic realm. Uh, it says in 1 John 2, 15 through 16, John wrote, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Your worldview is vital because it affects your approach to spiritual warfare. Individual expressions may vary from culture 
to culture. One culture may emphasize legalism rather than relationship, but the end result is the same for some people depending on where they're at because of the deception and destruction that they're in. Another thing, praying on the sinful nature of man. I've kind of already talked about it, but he wants to pray on our weaknesses, our struggles, things that God has brought us out of. Um, my biggest thing is I struggle with insecurity with my family because I didn't grow up with my family. So not growing up with my dad's side of the family, I don't know how to fit in because I have all these cousins. We're all the same age, but I don't know how to relate to them. So over Friday night, we were with some of them. And my dad was asking me in the car going out to my aunt's house, like, yeah, you need to get with your cousins. You need to see them more. And I was like, well, nobody, like, really, like, we're not connected. We don't have a relationship. And he's like, well, call them. Go see them. Show up at their house. I'm like, dad, you're talking to the wrong person. You do realize I'm, like, introvert times 100. He's like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. So we were out there, we were spending time, we were getting ready to leave, and my cousins were like, hey, we're doing a big thing on the lake, July 4th, you need to come out. And my dad said, there you go, there's an invitation, you can't say your cousins aren't trying to connect with you. But he just put me on blast in front of the whole family, and everybody's just looking at me, I'm like, gee, thanks dad, appreciate it, love you too. But him doing that, now I'm going to hang out with them. Like, I'm going to spend time. They're like, oh, yeah, you come out anytime. Uh, and it's not that I felt like I couldn't. It's just like when you have a whole another family that you didn't even know exists, it's like how do you, you know, even though we were different people, that doesn't bother me. It's just I don't know how to, like, navigate and, like, fit in because we don't have stories of growing up together. They all got stories of, all the crazy shenanigans my uncles did, them driving down the highway deciding to knock over all the yellow cones or the orange cones, and you got a young kid sitting in the center console, and you're not worried about him flying through the window. I mean, just all these crazy things. Uh, but hearing those stories, it, it causes insecurity. It's like, oh, man, I missed out, or I didn't, like, I don't have those stories. But I realize I don't have to have those stories to connect with them. In the same way, you don't have to go through a bunch of trials and tribulations to come into a relationship with Jesus. I have friends that they think, oh, do I need to go through what you went through in order to come to Jesus? I'm like, no, 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 no. No, you do not. But that's what they think. You know, that the, these are lies that the enemy tells us. Uh, let me see. I'm going to skip a couple things because of time. Three functions of spiritual weapons in pulling down strongholds uh, I want to talk about um, in spiritual warfare. One, it demolishes everything that is opposed to Christ. It enables us to take control of our mindset and our thoughts. It transforms everything that is contrary to God into obedience to Christ. With every stronghold, the devil attempts to keep people from faith and obedience to the gospel because he wants their hearts as his own property 
renouncing the works of the devil. It's what we have to do. All right, we're getting close. I might skip some of this. Next, we are going to talk about offense and defensive armor. Ephesians 6, 13 through 17 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Believers must arm themselves against the onslaught of Satan and his demons. In warfare, going into the enemy's territory is dangerous and risky. However, God does not send us into the devil's territory unequipped or on our own. Say, I am equipped. Instead, he gives us the necessary armor and equipment to protect ourselves against the attacks that are sure to come. Here are just some of our weapons, and I've already talked about some of them. The blood of Jesus, prayer, the whole armor of God, praising God, praise and worship, speaking the word, the name of Jesus, and finally, perseverance. Timing is everything when you are engaged in warfare. It is important when you are engaged in warfare to operate in the whole armor of God. Just like in a battle, a soldier doesn't go in and not have his everything on. He doesn't go in and doesn't have what protects him from getting right in the chest with a bullet. He wears it. That's his armor, protects him. If you just go in and you just have a gun and you have your boots on and you don't have nothing on your chest, you're probably going to get shot. You're probably going to get hurt. That's what happens when we go in exposed, not prepared. It says in Ephesians 6, 10 through 11, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Like I said, spiritual armor protects and reinforces uh, us as we engage in spiritual warfare. Uh, The pieces of equipment that we wear are both an offense and defensive nature. Uh, I just want to run through some of our offensive armor. The belt of truth, uh, which this is also uh, can symbolize to be tucked in loose clothing that might otherwise hinder or trip the soldier up. For example, um, the enemy might have something that's easy to grab onto us if we have something exposed in our life. So we don't want to have anything exposed in our life. We want to have everything tucked in. We also want to make sure that uh, we bind up anything that hinders us as well. We don't tuck in anything that's bad. If you got like a hem hanging on your shirt, you're probably going to cut it off before you tuck in your shirt. You don't want anything that's bad hanging on to you as you're putting on your armor. 
When we go into spiritual battle, we fight with weapons that are not of this world. Say, I have weapons that are not of this world. Next, we have the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians says, let us look at the sword of the Spirit um, because it's attached to our belt in our armor analogy. And it says in Ephesians 6, 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A soldier is not completely armed unless he has a weapon which with him to defend himself. The sword was not just used as a defensive weapon, but it's also used as an offensive weapon to destroy an opponent or enemy. In Paul's time, the sword was main weapon of warfare. Similarly, the word of God is primarily our offensive weapon that we use in spiritual warfare. Next, the preparation of the gospel of peace, our shoes. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, our walk, requi- our walk with God requires us to have proper footwear. Say, I need the proper footwear. You don't see a soldier going into a war with sandals or high heels. Our preparation will determine our ability and stability for our walk with Christ. The shoes of the gospel of peace will never wear thin, just as the Israelite shoes never wore out during the 40 years in the desert because God kept them whole. We have to trust that the things that God is giving us are the things that will sustain us and keep us. The breastplate of righteousness, another piece of equipment, a bulletproof vest. That's what I'm wearing. It says that Paul refers to this as the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, In the Roman time, it was sleeveless. It was a vest-like, flexible metal plate that stretched from shoulder to hip, uh, and it was backed with a piece of tough cowhide. This piece of armor protected the vital organs of the chest, notably the lungs and the heart. What does the lungs and the heart do? They allow you to breathe, and your heart is the core that helps you operate. So it's important that the Lord is telling us to wear the breastplate of righteousness because it protects not just physically, but spiritually the core elements that allow us to breathe and operate in who we are. Physically, our lungs enable us to breathe in oxygen, but as we breathe in the oxygen, we're able to have pure air on the inside. So, like I said, we want to protect our spiritual lungs so we can take in pure flow of the life that the Holy Spirit is wanting to give us. Too many Christians are trying to work for God in their own strength and power. They're trying to breathe and do everything on their own. When God the Father looks at us, he sees us as righteous because we are wearing the righteousness of his perfect son. If you wear the bulletproof vest of God's righteousness, you can assure that your heart and emotions are securely guarded and protected against the attacks of the enemy. 
Two more coming around the corner. Next, the shield of faith. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts or flaming arrows of the wicked one. Similar, similar, our shield of faith can protect us against arrows from the enemy. Uh, in Bible times, it, uh, it protected them from flaming arrows. And it can protect us from assaults of the enemies. Uh, but it also can be effective as a counterattack to help us use our sword of the spirit. It's also important that we take the shield with us wherever we go because it is impossible to please God without faith. And we need the shield of faith. In Ephesians 6, uh, it also talks about um, our helmet of salvation, the final one. And it says, and take the helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? Our relationship with the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord. This piece of armor concerns our internal destiny and our assurance of salvation. Again, the enemy often calls into question the level of our loyalty in commitment to God, and he tries his best to get us to doubt that we are protected with our helmet of salvation, causing us to walk away from our relationship. As a result, sometimes in our challenges, we become paralyzed from fear and insecurity. But there is a strong connection between faith and recognizing our position of being righteous in Christ. Say, I am positioned in Christ as righteousness. Finally, it says at the end, it says, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Be watchful to this end and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints there is a six-fold mandate that I just want to quickly break down in 6.18. And it talks about praying always, praying with all kinds of prayers and supplications, praying in the Spirit, be watchful in prayer, having all perseverance in prayer, and praying for all believers, even those that get on your nerves. Even those that maybe do you wrong. We must not retreat and we must not let the enemy have room in our soul, bodies, and our spirit, man. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey, because God is good, and He has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com.
If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.